Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Skip Miller. He's the founder and president of M3 Learning, a proactive sales and sales management training company based in the heart of Silicon Valley. I've invited Skip here to talk about his latest book, Selling Above and Below the Line. We're going to talk about some of the great misconceptions about selling, the myth of the decision maker, the difference between above the line and below the line buyers, and how to specifically navigate above and below the line to get better results in your business. It's a great discussion. And here's my interview with Skip Miller. Skip Miller, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a pleasure being here, Ian. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You betcha. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Wow. I'm born and raised in Ohio and uh, um, big Ohio State fan. My daughter just graduated from Ohio State and I married somebody from Penn State. Oh, how's that working out? <laughs> Once or twice a year, it's a very interesting household on a Saturday afternoon. But um, no, all good. So we've been in California for about 20 years now and, and really enjoyed it out here. But those Ohio State-Penn State games are definitely rivalries that the whole family gets into. Hey, at least you didn't marry someone from Michigan. Well, that couldn't have happened because we wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah. It's it's funny. My uh my my son who is entering college in the fall was looking at a few different schools. The Ohio and notice the Ohio State University being one of them because you have to have the V in front of it. Yep. And I love that on the tour, any building, any department that has an M in it in the in the name is crossed out with red tape. In, on game on the game week when, exactly. when Michigan comes to Ohio State, yeah, yep. it's the it's the M, and you can't say any word in classrooms that have M's in them. So it's <laughs> it's a hysterical hysterical week. I'm sure it goes both ways, but yeah, it's a it's a fun rivalry, and glad to have some kids who graduated there and, and experienced all that. But it's yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I remember there's a special program my son um, is considering, and the the professor who runs this program is called Integrated Business and Engineering. He asked my son what schools he's looking at, and Michigan was one of them, and Maryland's one of them, and so a lot of, a lot of their competing schools. And the professor looks at me and says, well, the problem with all those schools is none of them have any sports teams. And I mean <laughs> none of them have any sports teams. And my son says, I understand, professor. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's, and it's funny because here's a guy who's running uh, running a um, a department in the engineering school, but he's so passionate about the sport, the athletic side, that it just came through, which I don't know was a selling point or detraction to my son, but we thought it was funny to see that kind of school spirit. Traditions run deep. You're right. Yep. And and. Though, um, though many people would like to know, how do you end up in a um, in a marriage with somebody who went to a, a rivalry school? Um, we'll save that for another day. And I want to talk more <laughs> about your expertise and what you have in, in your book, Selling Above and Below the Line. And it's something that Jason Bay, who was a guest on um, several episodes ago, said, oh, you got to talk to Skip. And that's how we met. So for starters, what's the biggest mistake that you see businesses make? when they're selling to quote the decision maker. Yeah. Um, first shout out to Jason. So I uh, appreciate the call out. I'm on a mission Ian, to destroy the term decision maker. Cause I think there's two and I've, you know, labeled it below and above the line and the below the line buyer is the one that we love talking to. 
They want to talk about us. We want to talk about us, feature, benefit, competitive advantages. And, and they get excited about presentations and demos and stuff. And we get with them very early. They're typically the ones who call in or we prospect to. And they're very, very important in the deal. But energy for the deal is going to be what we call above the line. I got, you know, a $20 million problem. I've got a, a, a new product out there that I'm expecting $100 million in. I think I've got 60 70 80 in the bank. I got a $20 million gap. If I buy this thing that you're trying to sell me, it will make a dent in that gap. The below-the-line buyers, unaware of that happening, they're typically given a budget and to, to go buy something. And the above-the-line buyer is sitting there going, I sure hope something happens because we need to close this gap. So identifying that gap, the business gap, early in the sale, I think is the biggest mistake people make in the you know more mid-market you know, enterprise-type sale. You know what? It's, it's something that I speak about quite often, which is too often people focus on what it is they're selling rather than focusing on why the client's organization needs it. And so it's that it's that whole notion of, well, we have this feature and this capability, and I'm trying to hit my number this quarter instead of, to your point, what's that gap that they're trying to solve from a business standpoint that, candidly, the below-the-blind buyer may not even realize is the real driving force behind this purchase. Yeah, they, they, they got a budget for a reason. You know, they didn't get, you know, $100,000 to go buy something just because, you know, they needed a new, you know, shiny bobble. They got a $100,000 budget because the above the line buyer has said, I got a gap. I'm, I, I got an earnings gap, a revenue gap, a market share gap, a, a chance, whatever the gap is, however they're measuring things. It could be net promoter score. It could be, um, you know, uptime availability for the IT function. There's a, a lot of, you know, most above the line buyers have goals. And the cool thing about goals is they're never met. <laughs> they're either short, called a deficit, or they could rocket through them, called an upside. So either way, a deficit or an upside, you have a gap. And people will make investments to either close that gap or expand that gap. If you, you, you look at business that way, you definitely have a great argument to go to the above-the-line buyer early in the call rather than work with the below-the-line buyer and then try to go over their heads, which they're not going to like. I mean, it, it, it just, you just get in this rat race. Yeah, and that and that whole notion of the trying to do the end-around um, immediately puts you into the penalty box or at best sucks you into the vortex of evil. And um, and oh. the, those are those scenarios where it just can't happen. So what are what are some of the things that you suggest to people and that you cover in the book in terms of how do people make that transition? How does a seller make the transition from the below the line buyer so that they now include the above the line buyer? Well, think about it. Right, um, I've got a problem with uh, printing workbooks. You know, we're we're very busy now, and we're going to need a twenty percent. Uh, more throughput in my workbooks. So we need to buy a new printer, right? I don't care if it's a brother, a Xerox, a re I don't care. So I go to my office manager and say, buy a printer. And they're going to pick one, I'm sure is really going to be good. And they're going to come to me and say, Skip, maybe it's 10% over the budget you gave me. And I'm like, okay, fine. And by the way, the salesperson would like to ask, you know, if you want to see a demo of the printer. 
I bet you prints. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, now to my office manager, which this story is actually in the book, right? And it's a true story. Sure. Um, to my office manager, she does want to see a demo. She's the one who's got to figure out, you know, when it jams, how to unjam it, you know, where the cartridge, you know, that's important stuff. But to me, I want it to close my 20% production gap. That's what I, what I yeah. want. So when a salesperson gives an executive summary of a below the line reason to try to get to me, I'm like, I appreciate that, but I've given my office manager approval to buy the printer. I, I'm fine. But if they want to talk to me about my gap, because by the way, they may have some other solutions that also help close my gap, you know, extended warranties or, you know, leasing multiple printers based on job functionality. I mean, there could be a whole bunch of, but don't come to me about your features and benefits. Come to me asking me, why did I give my office manager budget to buy a printer? What was the problem? What was the gap? That's the thing we got to do earlier in the cycle. And, and that, and that's the reason you can get by the, the, your work with your below the line buyer. What's here's the magic word, Ian, what's caused you to get a budget for this. What's happened in the business that's caused them to say, we got to do something different. And using that word cause, which actually implies motivation, should get you a little bit better upstream. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, we have, we often use the phrase, um, what inspired you to look, to look for a solution right now? Yeah. And, you know, similar, similar concept, which is, so what inspired that? Okay. So, so gee, so right now, so you, you got a shortfall of 20%. What 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 do you think caused that that shortfall of twenty percent? Oh, those current stuff can't hold, hold that. Okay. Well, do you think that over time that's going to continue, or is this just a blip? You're exactly right. And now we're not talking about a printer. We're talking about your gap. And I don't know, quite frankly, if our stuff can help you or not yet. We're not there yet. Yep. Rather than you know, I can't wait for them to shut up so I can you know throw out a twenty minute demo so they can see our value. Exactly. Our value is so great that we want to discount it in the end. That's how great it is. That's how great it is. So great that we can't wait to discount it. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. And that's, that's always the stuff that just, you know, just, it's painful to watch because you're thinking, okay, um, we don't, you know, that's not an area we want to focus on. And it's never about price. And especially the, the below the line, the below the line customer is thinking to themselves, well, Okay, I just need to get this job done. And the above the line buyer is the one who says, wow, if you can better solve my problem, if I have a greater confidence that I'm going to get a better result with you than somebody else, then I may be willing to spend quite a bit more because you're giving me something totally different. Whereas the below the line buyer just says, look, I was told to get a widget. You guys have widgets, right? You're, you're exactly right. And you know, if we could focus on two things in the book, like sure. train, trains and time traveling, um, that those are really good reasons for the sales people and managers to go to above the line buyers earlier. Um, and I think in the book, we talk about this. Imagine the above the line buyer, the VP, the C-suite, whatever we want to call them, yep. as the train station master. And each C-suite you know, VP, senior VP, you know, business owner um, has initiatives and they have two, three, four initiatives. They're never single threaded. So as an above the line buyer, if what you're offering can make a dent on track two, three and five in my train station, this is great. Now, the below the line buyer is the conductor on track one. 
So he's already or she's only focused on that train. But to the above the line buyer, for example, if you're selling something to the sales organization and you talk to the VP and you say, what are your initiatives for the year? Well, I got to ramp my salespeople faster. We're hiring a bunch of people. I can ramp them faster. My managers got to be better at managing. Uh, we got to have a better compensation program. They'll have initiatives. Now, if you can actually make a dent on two or three trains in the station, watch how much energy this deal is going to have. So to the below the line buyer, you sit back and say, what other initiatives does your boss or your boss's boss have that this may be effective? And the below the line buyer is going to go, I, I don't know and I don't care. I'm in charge of track one and that's what I'm all about. And as a salesperson, you could sit back and say, I appreciate that. But my job is to make sure any investment you make in us is maximized within your company. And if we can affect other initiatives that are out there at the same time, it maximizes everybody's win-win here. So how do we find out what other initiatives are? You see where you're going with that? You're Absolutely. Going right to the ATL suite and not getting stuck on track one. Exactly. And yeah. So if you hunt for trains and really have a desire to find out what initiatives are out there, and Ian, if the initiatives for the top-line buyer are paint the fence, go on vacation, and buy a house – if they're not in your wheelhouse, well, the buy window is not open right now. Exactly. And th yep. theoretically, those trains will leave the station and new trains will come in next quarter. So there's always something going. So if if your listeners can actually sit back and hunt for trains and identify the gaps on those trains, I think that's a major reason to, to go to ATL early in the process. If you don't already have your copy of the new Same Side Selling 2nd Edition, the one with the red cover – then visit samesideselling.com or go to any place books are sold. And if you do already have your copy, I would be amazingly grateful if you took the time to post an honest review on Amazon. Yeah, now, you mentioned, you mentioned the idea of trains and time traveling. Think of, um, in the book, we describe it as two-dimensional versus three-dimensional. In a two-dimensional world, it's either here and now. If I have something broken at my house, I get in my car, I go to Home Depot, I fix it, I win. Yay. Above the line buyers are always thinking in the past, the present, and the future. The past is restorative. How do we get things back the way they were? <laughs> and the future is strategic. If I buy this today, how's it going to affect me, you know, three, six months from now? Most salespeople are two-dimensional. We go to a buyer and go, what's your problem? They go, here's my problem. We go, we can fix that, we win. Yay. That's very good at below the line. But above the line, you need to ask questions like, what's happened the last six months that's caused you to say you got to make a change? Or if you buy this now, what's going to affect in the next three, six months? What are the outcomes expected for an investment like this? Yeah. You ask a below the line buyer that, they're going, I don't know. I was told to buy this. <laughs> so we got to stop being two-dimensional when we get a chance to go to three-dimensional ATL and ask either past or future type questions. And it's interesting because one of the things I'm interested to get your take on this, one of the things I find is that people will say, well, the person I'm dealing with doesn't have the answers to those questions. And I say, exactly. And so what happens is when we ask those questions, they say, I have no idea. Okay. Well, and who, who might know the answers to that? So-and-so, so-and-so our VP of this division. Right. Well, why, why do we want to get them involved? Because from an investment standpoint, which this is, it may affect other things within the company, and you may be able to maximize an investment on many different initiatives. 
How do we find, we're not trying to overcomplex the sale here. We're trying to bring energy to it because I can guarantee you, if you talk to an ATL and your stuff can actually make a dent on two or three trains, watch how, I could, for, for, one, for $1, I can make a dent on three trains. Where, where does this go wrong? So hunting for trains and time traveling. You know, what are some of the initiatives that you're in the second half of the year that are going to cause you, you know, to sit back and go, I got a problem? Or what's happened in the first quarter that's, you know, that you've missed and said, you know, this may, if we don't fix this, this may be a problem. If we don't do that to ATL and we stay two-dimensional to ATL, hi, what are your problems right now? Um, I don't know. Getting you out of my office. That's my problem right now. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they, they don't th every ATL's meeting is about the last three, six months or next three, six months. Your questions have got to be that way when you get to ATL. They cannot be two-dimensional. Yeah, and it's in what I what I find fascinating is that simple questions can get those people included. So the oh, right. the unsophisticated seller might say, Well, how do I talk to them? which immediately creates an adversarial trap, as opposed to if you said, Oh well, so it sounds like there may be some other initiatives that that your boss or or that this person of this title has as well. What's the best way for us to include them? in this discussion, a way it's comfortable for you. So now it's non-threatening. It's how are we together going to include them to make sure that, gee, as a business, you get the greatest return per invested dollar. And how many salespeople are taught, if you're going to have a demo, make sure you get C-suite into the demo. You're like, <laughs> it's, it's, we're, we're training our people wrong because ATLs, BTLs, value props are different. Yep. It's absolutely true, and, it, and it's so funny because I think the thing that I love is that in selling above and below the line, you have so many different examples and scripts and, and stories that help illustrate this point of the difference between above the line and below the line buyers. And it's something where I often tell people, look, the, the person who is likely to give you the most time is also the person who probably has the least influence, and the person who probably has the most influence and the most authority is the person who's likely to give you the least amount of time, but they're going to have the most the most perceived value in what you have if it's a fit for them. So the person who says, oh, yeah, I can meet with you this week and next week and the following week and the following week, <laughs> they're, they're managing one, one track at best. Yep. And they're just focused on, I just want to get this widget and everything's a commodity to me. You know, in you know, in our sales training efforts, when someone says the reason we want sales training is we want our people ram faster, I'm like, okay, what else? <laughs> because if you're going to ask our company to come out and do some training for your people and stuff, you know, what are your initiatives for the year? Because if we only can affect one, it better be like a TGV train. Um, because if it isn't, I mean, what are we doing here? What, you know, if we can affect two or three initiatives at the same time. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that? So, I mean, it's the same for every SaaS businesses, hardware, software, enterprise. I mean, we've got companies that sell uh, shoes. We have companies that sell air conditioning units, HVAC stuff. It, it, it's pretty similar. There's typically two decision makers, and to get to them early is, a, is, is the way you do it. Asking cause, hunting for trains, and time traveling are, are, are good tactics to try to get to ATL as soon as you can. And Skip, there's 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 one other concept that you cover in the book that I want you to share with our audience, which is oftentimes people will say to me, look, so yeah, I get all this stuff and we're prospecting, we do this great, but when we get an inbound opportunity, 
people just call up and say, yeah, we've already done our research. We're interested in this thing that you guys have. So what's your advice for people on those inbound opportunities to make sure that we're looking beyond just the below the line person? Because let's face it, more often than not, those inbound opportunities come from somebody who's below the line, not above the line. Of course they do. Um, we have a tool. I'm sure you're referring to a tool called trumpeting. And trumpeting's goal is to not have an ATL call you back. Trumpeting's goal is to make noise. Ergo the name. So if I get an inbound lead from a company and I do a little homework and I find out that this could be a pretty good, good opportunity for us, I get on their company's website and I find three or four web execs. Web execs are executives on the website. And it could be COO, VP product, VP marketing, VP you know, engineering, whatever they are. And with one email to four people, no CCs, no everything, to Bob, Fred, Mary, and Debbie, we've just received an inquiry from your company. We plan on answering that. If there's a reason to, for you to get you guys involved, we'll be in touch. Thanks again. Love and kisses. Skip. So these people are going to get this email. They're going to go, what the heck's this all about? I mean, John, you know, they, it's going to create noise, which is great. And it is an ATL touch. So now you follow up with the inbound lead. Hi, John. Thanks for your inbound. What's up? And if it really gets exciting, go back and give an update, which we call a status email to the above the line buyers now. So you can get them involved earlier, even before you contact the inbound. And if you're going after two different value props, one, all about the features and benefits of, your, of what you offer, and the other is the financial you know, impact that it's going to try to address, it's a logical, good first step. Trumpeting does work, and we've got tons of people who, who do it and call back and say, Skip, your, your, your trumpeting stuff actually works. <laughs> we yeah. say thank you. So getting above early, just touching ATL saying, you guys inquired us. That means you're asking for our resource, and resource is expensive. So I want to let you know we plan on following up on that. So we are going to generate some resource of our company to answer your inbound. Now, if it really gets exciting, we're going to be in touch. That's all you're saying, but it is a good touch to ATL. Yep. Well, and I think that it's something that the point that, that I want to make sure that people got is that this is not, gee, I'm now circumventing the person who contacted me. It's just you're establishing that contact before you've responded yep. to the initial inquiry. You're opening up that channel of communication. In my prior business, I remember we did a lot of work in the insurance industry, and there was um, the people at the time at Zurich Insurance. Their IT organization would reach out to us, and when they did, we had a direct line to the CEO. And I would send a note to the CEO that says, hey, your team asked us about this. Um, we're really looking forward to helping them and seeing how we can help. Just out of curiosity, I want to make sure, is this something that is a strategic initiative where you want us to keep you informed? Yeah. Or is this something that um, is, hey, they may be pursuing it, but it's not that critical for you. I just want to make sure we're giving it the proper attention. As long as you don't talk about yourself and it turns out about their issues and challenges, trains in their station, you know, hi, we just got this inquiry. We plan on following up on this. If you want a personal demo of our stuff or if I can send you anything about our stuff, let me know. That's about us. We call that being about the dog. No dogs, no wolfing. Make it all about them if you're going to actually do that touch. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the notion of uh, – I often refer to it as the people are people – are, um, are infected with something called 
axis displacement disorder, which is when they believe the axis of the Earth has shifted and the world now revolves around them. And so that that notion of, look, no one cares about your stuff. They only care about how it affects their world. So when we reach out to potential clients, we want to be able to say, look, here's my understanding of your situation. And if my understanding is correct, I think we may have a solution. But before I go any further, do we have that right? Is that your exact situation or have we missed the mark a little bit? And then we're first talking about them rather than talking about ourselves. We did some research on that. It's in the first chapter or two of the book that that the neuroscience of selling where um, 60 to 80% of the time we, we end up talking about ourselves based on, you know, social media and stuff and the neurons in the brain that are related to good food and great experiences are the same neurons that get excited when we talk about ourselves. So what research has found is talking about yourself is inherently pleasing, even if no one is in the same room listening. <laughs> if you talk about yourself with no one around, it still feels good. Yeah, and, and so the challenge is that the salesperson wants to feel good, might want to talk about themselves, but we have to remember is if we let our client talk about themselves, they're going to feel good. And that's the whole point. That builds energy, right? And to do that, have them talk about themselves in the right value case. The below-the-line buyer, very important, but features and functions, they're, they're responsible for making the thing work. The above-the-line buyer, it's a fiscal issue. You know, how is this going to affect my goals and objectives? Is it going to, you know, you know, get me more money or lower my cost or, you know, reduce my risk? Two different value props. And without going early with both value props, these deals go through the whole sales cycle. At the end, you've got nothing left to stand on except maybe a discount or a free hat or, or whatever you're going to offer. You're not really get, doing a good job getting energy. <laughs> or the free hat. I love it. <laughs> so, hey, Skip, I, I, I love this concept of selling above and below the line. What's the best way for our audience to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Sure. I mean, you can get the book on Amazon. I think it's on Audible as well and stuff. Um, you want to get a hold of us, it's M3 stands for Miller and his three kids, uh, m3learning.com. And uh, happy to answer any questions anybody has. Brilliant. Hey, thanks so much for sharing your insights, Skip. And uh, I encourage people to run out and get a copy of Selling Above and Below the Line. And for my audience in the same-side selling world, I think you'll see that this is a concept that very very well aligns with same-side selling. So no one's going to be confused. It's a good thing to have both. Thank you. Skip shared some great insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, destroy the idea of just a single decision maker. You've got people above the line and below the line. Remember, the people below the line may be seeing the world from a two-dimensional viewpoint, and above the line, executives are looking at the three-dimensional view of the past and the future. That means that we use this model of the train tracks above the line being the train station manager and below the line being one track. So we want to focus on the things that are relevant to each individual. It may not make sense for the above the line person to attend a demo in a technology company. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.